Welcome to Have You Heard? Today's podcast is brought to you by Dectamax V, Australia's first dual active injectable drench for cattle. It's twice as tough. Hi all, I'm Charlene. And I'm Tess. And you are now listening to our first edition of Have You Heard for 2022. We hope to share some wonderful, sometimes funny and sometimes inspiring stories from your fellow livestock teammates throughout the year ahead. Before we get started, we would also like to send a special shout out to Susan Bora, who's just joined the Inside Sales team, and to Andrew Carr, who has joined the Southern team. A massive warm welcome to you both. Welcome to the team, Susan and Andrew. So what's on today's episode, Shah? I'm glad you asked, Tess. In this episode, you will hear some fun facts about someone within Zoetis. See if you can guess who it is. Then later in this episode, we will be joined by the Southern team and Fred, who have, in celebration of the launch of the Dectamax Victory Packs, put together their own Victory Packs, along with a special recording of a poem, which has now become a tradition for the team when someone leaves. So let's get started. First off, here are some clues about our mystery person. Listen carefully as there is a prize on offer. If you can guess the correct person before the next podcast, when we reveal who this person is, you will receive a $10 bonus leaf from me. The winner will be the first person that emails me with the correct answer. So, are you ready? Clue number one. This mystery person won a ballet scholarship four years in a row. Clue number two. They raised lion cubs and own seven dogs and one cat. Clearly an animal lover. Clue number three. They once went down the Chobe River in Botswana, southern Africa, in a speedboat, hit a hippo and went flying through the air. We think the hippo is okay. So because we thought this may be a little tricky, we've thrown in one more bonus clue. Are you ready for it? This person is not part of the Southern, Northern or Wasser team, but spends a lot of time helping out the team. Remember, the first person to email me with the correct answer will get a $10 bonus lead. Good luck, everyone. Nothing like the eye of the tiger to make you feel victorious. Join us now as we listen to the Southern Team's memories of a victorious moment. First up, we have the Southern Team's fearless leader, Peter Fitzgerald. Well, here he goes. So I've got a message from Tess today wanting some stories about victory. Um, and really got me uh, me thinking. And when I actually think about victories in my life, I also at the same time realise they come at the expense of someone else. And... You know, when, it, when there's a winner, there's a loser most times. So over my life, I've come to rethink uh, what victories actually mean to me and um, you know, how I approach them. So, um, and to me, victories now are really more around um, just improving every day um, and, and getting to see people improve every day. So that was just a thought, but I won't wax on lyrical about my philosophies around victories and um, etc. But while I was talking to Tessa, it reminded me of a, a um, funny little story where my daughter holds a victory within our family to this day, she reminds me of. And 
we were in uh, Thailand, not far from Krabi, doing a canoeing adventure uh, with the family on a family trip and uh, jumped in the kayak and put the life vest on and had an iPhone with me and thought I'll put it in a plastic Ziploc bag and shove it down the front of my life vest. should be safe there, sitting in a kayak. It's not going to fall out. And we uh, we got paddling and Alicia and I were in the kayak going along and the girls were going and we thought we'd race them a bit and a bit of competitive spirit and heading along and we thought we'd take a bit of a shortcut but it wasn't a shortcut because we sort of hit the sandbar and got stuck. So I sort of got out of the kayak and stood up and pushed us backwards and got us back on track and uh, we kept paddling along. Um, yeah, having a, having a good time, caught up to the girls and got past them. Got to the next sandbar and everyone gets out for a rest and have a bit to eat and thought, oh, we'll take some photos. Go for my iPhone and it's not there. Oh, shit. That's a problem. Looked in the kayak, not there. And then it dawned on me that when I stood up, it clearly dropped out. Well, the tide was coming in. The sandbar we got stuck on, couldn't see it anymore. But my youngest daughter and I had piled back into the kayak and thought, right, we'll go hunting. And I had a... I was a bit of an advantage in that I had my a Garmin watch on with GPS on, which I'd been tracking. So we started paddling and I tried to track back as close to Mark where we were going and paddling along and sort of get close to where I think we should be. And uh, in the middle of the ocean, all you can see is water. Next minute, my daughter yells out in front, there it is, dives into about three foot of water and pulls out my phone, uh, still in the plastic Ziploc bag. A bit of water had got in there, but it was still working and, and going okay, so... She thinks she had a hell of a victory that day and I did tell her later that I had a bit of help from GPS which she won't acknowledge because she thinks it was just her skill and navigating and uh, keen eye that got it. So anyway, we saved the iPhone, it worked, kept working for a number of years and uh, we continued on and had our trip. So that's a, um, just a bit of a, a family story about uh, a victory and a bit of competitive, competitive nature between us. Page your own way. A poem written by Heidi Sutherland on behalf of the Southern Livestock Team to farewell our colleague, Glenn Page. Page your own way. A heartfelt farewell nine years in the making. To a business of smoke, his bonus he's taking. So many quips, comments we'll miss. We'll sit with a smile at times, reminisce. The book of Pagey will live on with humour. He'll walk his own way, no lie, no rumour. Farmers still talk of footy club days. We hear it got sales. He could sell in all ways. In jeans oh so fancy and polished RMs. What golf club rules? Oh well, ahem. The book will have deals. There'll be hams on each page. Bruce slips in a focus. Hey, farms pay our wage. We'll talk of page time. It's just a bit late. So were the Anzacs next year to be eight. Promos galore. Let's do a deal. Out of box thinking make marketing kneel. I need a flyer for tomorrow, now go. The deal is done. Ask first, too slow. With family all round juggling the balls, who's got time to enter in calls? The horses will run now off to Hong Kong. Talk of a filly, she'll win, won't be long. Best wishes abound, you'll walk to your drum. With you at the helm, your business will hum. So farewell to you and good luck with say. Pagey, you sure did it your way. Hey team, Nathan from Gippsland here. Thanks to Shara and Tess for having me back on after my first appearance in the early days of the podcast with Danny. I want to share with you a little success story I've had with Decto-V. This product's something I've been super excited about for a very long time since I first heard about it undergoing trial work. 
By now, I'm sure my stores are sick of hearing me talk about using Dectamax Injectable in conjunction with an oral Levamisol. I've really hyped up the use of these two products together in the hopes of having great success with Dectov. However, when I saw conference orders start coming through, I was left a little disappointed with the uptake. After conversations with Fitzy about what needed to happen, we decided on setting myself a challenge. The common pushback from stores was that they weren't confident that they could sell another dual active drench after competitor dual actives were slow sellers. I set myself this challenge with my AgLink stores to begin with. It was a simple challenge. Sell a minimum of one Dectamax V victory pack per store in the month of March to help with their confidence in the product and their ability to sell. The way we were going to do that was simple. I'll spend a day with a staff member from each store canvassing local farmers they deal with. I asked each store to come up with the smallest of producers, only four to five per store, that they think would be suitable for us to visit and sell some drench to. From my nine AgLink stores, I got a list of about 120 producers to visit with them, so I got a bit of work ahead of me. The next step is to get in the car with someone from each store and start canvassing. I'll see how we go with that one. This gave me a lot of confidence to approach my NRI group with a similar challenge for them, but I upped the ante slightly this time. I asked them to commit to two victory packs per store to be sold in March. Gave them the same plan. Spend a day with each store canvassing and sell as much as we can. They liked the idea and I got the commitment from them. Between my AgLink and NRI stores, I've got canvassing days with 15 stores lined up to sell Dectov. My next plan is to approach other stores and get the same thing happening. A bit of commitment from us goes a long way with our customers and it's an easy way to show them how easy it can be to sell Dectov and to give them the confidence to have it in stock as an everyday item instead of having it as a special order item. My win out of this is that I plan to hit my first half target for Dectov by the end of the month and keep things going from there. I wanted to share this with you, so if you're having trouble with the uptake of Dectov in your territory, you'll be able to do the same thing I've done and hopefully have a similar success story. Hello all, it's Matt Peterson here, and today, staying in on the theme of victories, I wanted to share the story of how I came to be at Zoetis. So I finished uni in 2010 as a vet, and... I did a few things but found my way back to the family practice um, and that was in Finlay in southern New South Wales. And I worked there with my father who had been a vet there for 35 years roughly at the time and we ended up um, working there and before it was sold or acquired by Apium at the end of 2015 and that was preceded by a fairly turbulent time in agriculture. Um, there was nothing to do with APM, but it was to do with uh, the 2016 happened to be the fifth biggest flood on record here. And um, it was also the time that the Murray-Goulburn milk collapse occurred. And um, so it was, it was a time when it was very difficult for the farming community. And at the end of 2016, after the floods, it probably didn't rain for the next two or three years. Uh, we just seemed to roll into a big, long, um, pretty severe drought. And towards the end of that, I became fairly discontent with, um, with, with life as a vet in the area. And we really wasn't sure what I was wanting to do, but I knew that my time had come to move on. And so I was um, muddling over a few things and we ended up buying a caravan and my wife and two kids set off on 
a uh, adventure around Australia and I had no real plans of how long it would go for or even where we would go or where would we would end up I had a fairly open mind to to anything but um, I guess at the time I certainly hadn't considered that I may end up in Zoetis but it was when I was uh, coming into Broome and I was stopped there to do a locum work up in the Kimberleys, pig testing cows, um, that Andy Hancock called and said, hey, there's a, I've had a promotion over to Ireland and there's a role coming up in Zoetis. And so I, um, he spoke very highly of it and I applied for the job and got it. And um, that was a... That was at the when was that end of 2019, and so went up Beetling home and uh, came back to Tokemore where I still live, and um, started up with Zoetis in the at the I think it was August in 2019, and I really hadn't ever considered a role in a pharmaceutical um, before, but at the time I guess I had an an, an open mind and a uh, and certainly a willingness to try something new. And I am really, really enjoying the role. So I guess that was probably a, a victory that I've had. And reflecting on it, it was just a journey where I had no idea where I'd end up. And, um, yeah, I'm now really happy, and I would call it a victory, that I've ended up working in the veterinary operations team in the livestock division here at Zoetis, so hope that uh, wasn't a too laborious story to listen to, but um, that's my victory story. Thank you. Hi everyone, I'm sitting here in my office in Sydney. Uh, the rain's tumbling down outside. I hope it doesn't mess up the recording too much. Um, both Jess and, and Shah have asked me to give you an example of, of when I had a victory in my life. Um, and I've had done a bit of thinking about it. I'm just trying to think of something that might be relevant to you all. Um, and, and what came to mind was really one one event that um, kicked off my career, I guess, and was one of the reasons why I got my some of my initial promotions. Um, the company I was working for at the time was now called DSM, uh, based in Wagga. Um, but uh, at the time, they'd come up with um, an interesting use for vitamin E. You could use vitamin E to prolong the shelf life of beef. Um, vitamin E is an antioxidant. If you feed heightened levels of vitamin E to cattle uh, prior to slaughter, uh, you can actually keep their meat on the shelf for, for one or two days longer uh, before it starts to go that greyish colour. So it stays bright red and you can sell it at a higher price. So uh, they thought that was a great idea um, and we tried to promote that to a lot of our customers, uh, feedlots at the time. Um, unfortunately, the problem was the feedlot paid the money, um, but the benefit was at the supermarket. So uh, it was really hard to make that link between the feedlot and the supermarket. So I uh, spent quite a bit of time trying to convince feedlots to do that. Um, and what it turned out um, was that um, some feedlots in Australia at the time and, and still today uh, were part of uh, Japanese conglomerates or vertically integrated operations. So those Japanese operations um, not only had owned the feedlots, uh, but they also owned the um, supermarket chains, or at least the linkage to the supermarket chains back in Japan. So 
when, once we'd talked to a few of our potential customers, uh, we approached a number of uh, Japanese op operators here in Australia, including people like Mitsubishi and Nippon Ham. And um, we started to get some interest, but generally it was a really hard sell because they still didn't want to spend the money because there's different departments within the same organization. So what, what, was, what was the victory all about? Where, where did I get a win? Well, I started speaking to Wyala at the time. At the time, they were the, this is back in the 90s, they were the largest feedlot um, in Australia or the largest capacity in Australia. And I was speaking to the Japanese um, managers there or the Japanese colleagues that were there at the time. Um, and uh, really hard sell. Uh, I must have had five or six meetings with them, seemed to be getting nowhere, um, trying to convince them that this was a really good idea. They were politely meeting with me, but uh, generally not doing anything. So I guess the win came um, after I'd given up. I, I literally went there, uh, drove into the Whaler feedlot, um, you know, after about the fifth or sixth meeting. Um, went to talk to them about uh, almost something else. I, I mentioned this as a sideline and they said, oh, yeah, by the way, we've decided to go ahead with that plan. So it's a significant cost for them to add the extra vitamin E to their, to their feed. Um, but it was a win for me. And uh, promoting that win or talking about that win at the next national conference for that company was part of the reason I got recognised. And um, within a few years, uh, my career had jumped. I was running a, um, a significant part of the business in Southeast Asia. Um, and, you know, years later, here I am. So it really was a victory that uh, whilst it seemed small at the time, uh, it was a tough idea to get across and to make the linkage, but uh, it really kicked my career off. So maybe that's uh, something that you can think about uh, in, in your career, small things and, and just focusing on what the company wants and trying to get uh, new ideas across the line uh, could be something that kicks your, your career off as well. Anyway, just thought I'd re relate that idea and that thought. Um, thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks to my team for pulling up their bootstraps and giving us a story of victory. I'll be honest here and tell you, it was not an easy task getting them to share, which really made me think, this is an articulate, confident and generally gregarious group. Were they reticent to speak because they had to record themselves? Or was it the task we assigned them? It's often said that Australians suffer from tall poppy syndrome, so are we afraid to draw attention to our successes? Or do we struggle to identify them in the first place? Victory looks different for everyone, but all of us found it difficult to talk about. I've had a few interesting conversations in the lead up to this episode. You'll have noticed that Fitzy pondered the importance or necessity of victory before going on to tell a light, sweet and honest family story. For a man whose achievements are many, he chose a story with no loser. I needn't remind you all, Peter was very recently RSM of the year, a story he could have told. I was planning on telling a simple story myself, similar to Fitzy's, which involved me. After 30 minutes of deep breath gulping, lung straining diving, finding the lost wedding ring of a family member on the bottom of Lake Macquarie. Was I too afraid of big noting myself in a real way? There's no loser in my story, except like Fitzy's in an alternate reality where someone was left without their phone or ring when our aquatic search was unsuccessful. But is it bad to want to win? 
Shouldn't we want to be the best? Can't we be the best while being pro-social? It's not immoral to be a winner. Maybe it's immoral to be a bad winner. Or immoral to not honour your competitors and acknowledge that we're all working hard for personal and common goals. It's great to advance as a collective, but each individual advance, I think, benefits us all. There are values that serve the interests of the individual and the many. So I don't think we should shrug off our victories so soon, Southern team. These are the things that motivate us. Most of us work really hard, the collective us, to feed and clothe ourselves. And if we're really lucky, move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs towards loftier goals. I really genuinely believe we need to achieve. So perhaps connecting the two ideas, the quest for personal victory, while caring about the we instead of the I, was actually key to understanding why this was such a difficult task. Personal accomplishments are important, but mine will look entirely different to yours. So let's also not define ourselves by the victory of others. But maybe victory was the wrong request, precisely because it conjures up images of a fallen competitor. It's a common human sentiment to want to be better, be better for our friends, family, community, or our employer, as well as for ourselves. Maybe I should have asked my team to weave a tale of personal growth and accomplishment. But it's not called Dectamax growth, is it? Although Dectamax for growth has a real ring to it. Thanks again for joining us and thanks for the team and Fred who came in last minute for sharing their stories. It's not always easy to share those kind of moments. Don't forget to send through your guests for the mystery person. Thanks again, everyone. Here's to finding victory in the small and not so small moments of your life. See you soon.